Welcome to Ed Influencers, a podcast from ISTE, the International Society for Technology and Education. I'm Joseph Sal, ISTE's Chief Learning Officer, and I'm excited to bring you interviews with members of the EdTech community who are not just innovating in education, but who are influencing nonprofits, education policy, and business, and are shaping how students learn. So welcome, Justina. Thank you. So first of all, I feel like I just have to congratulate you. You are the most recent recipient of our Making It Happen Award. I was so excited about that and so surprised. So um, thank you for giving me the award. Well-deserved. So I know you're in a position of really significant responsibility with the Verizon Foundation. I guess my, my question is, you know, how did you get to this role? It's, uh, it's really unique and influential role. What, what were the steps that got you here? Yeah, it's interesting because it's not where I would have thought I would be um, back when I was a little girl or even um, in college. So I immigrated from Dominica in the Caribbean um, when I was around nine years old. And I lived in the Bronx, in the South Bronx, um, for many years. Um, that's where I grew up. And I attended school in Harlem. So my mother became a teacher at a um, Catholic school in Harlem and we were able to attend while she worked there. And it was in one of the most underserved neighborhoods um, in New York City. I spent a lot of time walking through areas that had a lot of drugs and probably not the best people. You know, from there, um, I went to a school in the Bronx, Cardinal Spellman High School, became famous for Judge Sotomayor. Um, <laughs> she graduated from that high school and it was all over the news. And I'm like, oh, everybody knows about Cardinal Spellman now. Um, <laughs> but my mother worked very hard uh, to send us to, um, you know, really good schools. And um, I went on to obtain a mechanical engineering degree at the University of Buffalo. And um, I started working for a company that um, was called Ninex a few years after graduation, and it eventually became Verizon. And I worked there as an engineer. And then I had a son who was born at 25 weeks, and I had to leave my corporate job uh, to spend time working on his development. And when I spent that time outside of Verizon, um, I actually decided to focus on education. Once he got to a point that we felt his development was up to par and um, he was a typical young child, I decided to do the alternate path to obtaining an education uh, certificate, a teacher certificate. And Wait, so, so you're telling me you started out as an engineer yes. and then became a teacher. <laughs> yes, and, and the is... story does not end yet. Okay. <laughs> you're right. And I think um, there was always a part of me that valued education. My mother was a teacher, as I mentioned. My older brother um, was a teacher and became an assistant principal. So it was just a part of our you know, family anyway. Mm -hmm. So I always admired teachers. I knew how difficult it was. But I also saw the kinds of impact that they were having on young people, especially where we lived. So maybe it was just always there that I, I was eventually going to get into education. But if you told me that when I was in college, when I was pursuing an engineering degree, I would have not, you know, I would have never thought that I would have become a teacher. So during that time, when I was focusing on my young family, um, I decided to do the alternate route to mm -hmm. teaching. And I 
was just about actually to start teaching in a middle school classroom on a regular basis. I had dabbled in it. I, I spent some time in the classroom. I did receive the certification and the opportunity to come back to Verizon and work on our philanthropic programs was um, shared with me. And because of my STEM background, uh, because of the fact that I was very invested in education, uh, it just made perfect sense. And I always loved working at Verizon. Um, it was a company that I admired. And I always felt that if I had the opportunity to go back, I, I would do so. So I did go back and started working in the Verizon Foundation. And it was at the time that we had just had a new CEO and a new leader in the foundation. And we decided to refocus our efforts on STEM education. So it was, it just fit my background very well. So can you think of the first time that you ever heard the word engineer, ever thought of it being applied to you? Yeah. Um, so I, I had a sister who was one year ahead of me, um, in, in school. And she had gone on to the, um, to Binghamton University. And I, I did really well in math in high school. And when it was time for me to apply to college, um, I asked her, I said, what should I do? I have no idea what I should major in. And she said, you know, at Binghamton, the engineers seem very well respected. You know, <laughs> um, people listen to them. They seem to be in a group of their own. And um, she thought they were doing really interesting things. And she said, because you do well in math, maybe this is something you'd want to pursue. I did, didn't have any idea what an engineer did but then, and I just went for it. I applied to the University of Buffalo um, to be a mechanical engineer. I felt mechanical um, made the most sense once I started exploring it a little bit more because I like to, I always like to understand how machines worked. And I applied and I got in and I didn't realize how hard it was. Uh, I was among a lot of kids who had dabbled in more hands-on projects when they were in high school. I didn't have that experience in my high school. I didn't have parents who can help me. Um, understanding some of the concepts I, I was learning. And I didn't have a lot of confidence back then. I was the only African-American woman um, majoring in mechanical engineering at that time at the University of Buffalo. So so, so this is an experience that, that, a, that a, a lot of people have, yeah. um, you know, getting to higher education, not really feeling fully prepared, not having that sort of network and, and, the, and the framing to understand it. You know, what, what kept you going during that tough times? Because I know a lot, a lot of people drop out under circumstances that you were under. Yeah. And people around me dropped off left and right. I was shocked. Um, they went on to architecture or they went on to general sciences. And I hung in there because I couldn't figure out what else I wanted to do. So although it was really tough, I just had a lot of grit. I said, this is, Something that I believe I could do, and I may not have excelled. I was not the A student, um, but I just felt it was interesting, and I, I, I felt I could accomplish it, and I hung on. So I tried to get into groups that accepted me. Um, there were not many, but I bonded with a couple of um, peers uh, at the University of Buffalo, and you know there were two or three of us that met and worked on projects together. I was very timid back then, and I didn't spend a lot of time using the TAs and the professors as, you know, I should have. So I really went about it um, pretty alone in most cases. Has, has that experience that, that you had, has it informed the work that you do at the foundation now? Yes, absolutely. Um, I look back and, you know, I always say that we're not 
preparing all of the students in our programs for an engineering degree, you know, or a computer science degree. But I think a big part of what we're doing is we're helping build their confidence uh, so that they know they can do it. So if they decide to pursue it, they have the skills. They understand how to present to small groups. They know how to create a product or solution. And I feel that entire support system that we give them will help them greatly in the future. Um, so yes, it, it completely informs the work that we're doing. And, you know, we focus on schools that have low income students. We focus also on girls who are underrepresented in STEM and we focus on minority males who are also underrepresented. So it, it absolutely informs the work and as much support that I can provide to those um, young people, I, I, I do. Level up your digital teaching practice with ISTE-U, a virtual hub of unique professional learning courses to help educators build critical skills for teaching and learning in a digital world. We've worked with leading educators and education organizations to ensure ISTU provides engaging courses that put pedagogy first and provide incredible learning from the moment you get started. Graduate level credit is available. Learn more at isti.org slash istu. So when I think of the work that you do, two aspects stand out to me. And the first is your focus on impact and your discipline in measuring that impact, because I've worked with other foundations and you have a much sort of sharper vision and picture of, of, of the measurement aspect. And the other is your commitment to serve those who are in, in greatest need. And I remember from our conversations when I was back at the Youth Department of Education that you really wanted to make sure that you're reaching the most underserved. Those are really challenging to do. Um, where does the drive for that come from? Where, where, where does the, where does the passion, um, originate to do that work? I really think if you do not reach those underserved students, they're going to be left behind. I, I have seen it myself. I've seen it firsthand. Um, I again grew up in the South Bronx where if you did not have a strong parent unit, um, you know, my mom was very strong. Uh, my father actually was an alcoholic. So a lot of, the um, support that we received in the home was from my mother, who, again, was an educator, immigrated from Dominica, received her degree working in evenings, you know, and, and nights at the Lehman College in the Bronx to get her teacher certification. So she was very invested in our education, but I can tell you that there were a lot of people around us that did not have that support at home you know, they went to school hungry. They went to school not having, I guess the, they were already behind by the time they were in school. So you start thinking, how do we help these students in a way that they can compete for future jobs? And that's really my goal is to help those that are very underserved that are in the most under-resourced areas be successful in the future. And when you think about the change in society, the speed by which technology is uh, is moving and you think about autonomous cars and just the future of, of the world and jobs, I think it's even more important now to really focus on those groups because I think there's just going to be a huge widening gap and a huge digital divide um, that is going to continue to spread. So turning to that topic of, of technology and particularly educational technology, um, what what excites you about 
technology and ed tech and, and what concerns you? Yeah, that's a great question. I, what excites me is the fact that technology can really help with personalized learning in the classroom. And you, you can move from having a teacher who's talking to everyone at once to really understanding where each child is and how can we provide more of that individualized instruction and help? How, how the teacher can really be a guide in the classroom and a facilitator rather um, than be a lecturer. And I think that's what was missing before, where you have a group of students, they're all at different levels, they all have different challenges at home, and the teacher is directing the content to all of them and not really understanding what their individual needs are. So I think technology really can be that great equalizer. What excites me is also what's to come. You know, we're looking at, you know, artificial intelligence. You know, how can that help more with personalized learning in the classroom? How can we use data to better support students? Verizon just announced our first, um, you know, 5G launch in LA. What is that going to mean around equity for people in the future? And how do you look at some of the emerging technologies like virtual reality, augmented reality, and how can that really truly engage students in the classroom, make immerse them in experiences they would not otherwise have. And our goal is to bring that to the underserved and under-resourced schools that we work with because we know that a lot of the affluent schools and higher income schools, they're naturally going to get those experiences and they're naturally going to get um, those tools. So we are really focused on what's to come and how we can create that exposure and integrate it into the schools that we work with. So some of that work I know you've actually done with ISTE. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about the work that you've done with us yes. and the impact that you're seeing from it. Yeah, so we've had a long-term partnership with ISTE. Um, in fact, um, one of our biggest programs that we have today with the one-to-one tech integration started as a professional development partnership with ISTE. But even before that, you know, we partnered with ISTE to support programs at the ISTE conference where we had booths and exhibits where we were able to um, display some of the work that we did at the Verizon Foundation. So actually, our partnership goes way back. Back in 2012, uh, we found through just speaking to some of our business teams and assessing what's happening in districts that districts had started dabbling in purchasing some mobile devices. But we found that a lot of them were keeping them in a closet or the teachers didn't really understand, well, how do I use this cart of tablets um, in my classroom? So we partnered with ISTE to create professional development for those schools. At the time, we couldn't actually provide technology to the schools. We had a lot of regulations around that, especially being a telecommunications company, but we could provide professional development. Um, and that's what we did. And we saw some really great results from that. We saw that in math and science classrooms, which was our focus then, that um, we saw increases in test scores. And we said, okay, this is wonderful. Can we take it one step further? Two things happened at that time in 2014. We were part of ConnectEd, and we had the opportunity to start bringing devices into schools. So, so ConnectEd was the White House program yes. to help spread the use of broadband in schools, and in particular, schools of great need. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we, along with Apple and Microsoft, and Microsoft and a few other companies, were all part of this consortium that worked together and with the Obama administration to bring technology to schools. So we were able to move from just having a professional development program 
where we saw um, impact on our students to actually providing technology, providing the device and access as well. But the other thing that we found out at the same time that we started bringing the devices to schools, schools across the country were saying, hey, we need to understand how to train our teachers. We need the content and the support to do that. So we took the program with ISTE and created a virtual professional development initiative called the Verizon Mobile Learning Academy. And what that did really took the professional development program that we had and made it available to under-resourced schools across the country. And we saw unbelievable results from that. We saw engagement um, increase in every school that we worked with. Um, we saw school transformation. We saw that teachers um, were better understanding how to use technology in the classroom and really transforming the classrooms um, around, uh, you know, teacher training and tech education. So that was actually a wonderful opportunity to take something that we brought to just a few schools to 300 schools across the United States over three years. And what was the magic that made that work? I mean, they're, they're, that, those are enviable results, and a lot of people are trying to get them. Um, you know, what, what was the, what was the combination of factors that led to that, do you think? Yeah, I think there were a few different things. I think it's how we think about these programs. First of all, we work very closely with our partners. It's, it's a collaborative relationship that we have where we're not completely dictating what we want and the partner is, and, and we're not just supporting the partner's mission. It is how do we come together to create a program that can have significant impacts across the country, right, in under-resourced schools. So when we thought about the professional development program, number one, we said we did not want to reach just one teacher in a school. We wanted this to be more around school transformation or at least transform a few different um, classrooms in a school. Um, so we asked that at least five to seven teachers, a tech coach, and a principal participate in the professional development program. We wanted leadership support, um, and we wanted to make sure there was a tech coach who could continue to support the teachers. So I think that was one reason why there was success. We had a lot of resources that we provided to the teachers as well, online resources. And third, we always had office hours. So it's not just a training program where it's one and done or there's a monthly webinar. We made sure that teachers could reach out to ISTE and ask questions and get additional support whenever they wanted to and whenever they needed to. And we did continuous research. You know, ISTE has a great research group, and they were able to look at the um, results from teacher surveys and student surveys on a continuous basis. So we always knew what to iterate and make better. So that's how we work in partnership with our, our um, partners to really have an impact on the, the people we're trying to reach with our programs. It's wonderful the uh, amount of resources you bring, the expertise that you bring, the partners that you choose, and of course we're privileged to be one of them. So if you're a school who's out there and, and unfortunately you don't have a, a, a grant from Verizon and, and you don't have that sort of external support and expertise and help, do you have any thoughts or advice for a school who feels a little bit like they're on their own trying to do this kind of transformation? Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things that are available. Um, I think, first of all, ISTE has some great tools that they can use on understanding how do we integrate technology um, into the classroom. Um, there are some resources that were actually the outcome of the Verizon Mobile Learning Academy that's available to teachers. There's still professional development that's available that anyone can access. 
And I would say they have to um, have a vision around exactly what do they want? Um, what's the impact they want to have? How are they thinking about tech integration? How are they going to make it sustainable? And then once they've created that vision, then there are a lot of resources out there that they can use to figure out how do we implement it well within, um, within our schools. So tell me, what is one project that you're working on right now that you're really proud of and that you feel like is making a real difference for for youth in, in the U.S.? Yeah, so there are actually three projects that I'm <laughs> okay. proud of. I'm sorry, Joseph, I can't, <laughs> I can't choose one. Um, so there's first our one-to-one tech integration program. You know, we, again, do a lot of research and evaluation around the work, and we've seen increases in student achievement in math and language arts. Um, in math, I believe we saw three times the test score improvement That's versus phenomenal. a control group. I mean, it was amazing. I hope it continues. Um, we're waiting for more data to come in around our, you know, more recent cohorts. And in language arts, we saw two times um, an increase in test scores. And then when you look at students with special needs, we saw even um, more increases in, in student achievement and test scores. So we are really proud of that. And that's a program that we're continuing to support. And in fact, we just received additional funding from our business to move from 100 schools today to 350 schools by 2021. So that really shows that this is a successful program that Verizon wants to continue to invest in. But in addition to that program, I also want to reference the two programs that really focus on rural girls and minority males. You know, those are two segments that are very underrepresented in STEM. And we decided to create summer immersion programs for middle school students where they come on the campuses of community colleges for the girls and historically black colleges and universities and Hispanic-serving institutions for the boys. So this gives the middle school students exposure to college life, number one, exposure to mentors who are majoring in STEM fields, but they're also immersed in curriculum that really exposes them to emerging technologies. So you have a middle school girl in Appalachia, one of the lowest income areas in the United States, who is doing augmented reality experiences, and she's creating products that are printed, you know, 3D design products. Um, she's learning about Internet of Things and little bits. So I'm really proud of the programs we've been able to create and the outcomes we're seeing from those um, initiatives as well. Do you ever get to interact with these students? It's my favorite thing to do. Um, I visit, you know, a handful of schools every year. I wish I could visit more, and I go from classroom to classroom. And whenever I can, I talk to the kids as well. They remind me of me. You know, I I talk to them. I, I tell them about my background. I tell them about my path to a STEM degree. Um, and I really encourage them to keep at it and learn and use everything that they're learning today for their betterment in the future. So it is my absolute favorite thing to do. I just visited Morehouse College last week because it's one of the new partners in for our program for minority males. And then Friday of this week, I'm actually visiting one of our rural girls campuses. So how do you keep the momentum going after the program you funded ends and and you move on for, you know, either either after a success or after something that wasn't as successful? Um, but especially, you know, program that's going well, you're seeing the results. I, I'm guessing like it's 
might be a little heartbreaking in some ways to step away from it. But it how, do, how do you move that momentum? It forward? is. Um, we've had, uh, we had actually a, a couple of very successful programs that we had decided to end. And uh, one was our Verizon Innovative App Challenge. We launched that program in 2012. And it was a program that um, allowed middle school and high school students to submit an idea, a concept for an app that solves for a challenge in their community. And we partnered with the Technology Student Association um, to, to manage and implement the program for us. And it was a wonderful program. I mean, just from a, the impact we were having, our, the students that won the app challenge actually created apps that were being used in their communities. They created apps that were purchased by companies, um, which allowed those very under-resourced students to get money that they could use for college and, and for, for their families. And, you know, a lot of students also used it as a way to get into college. You know, it was a big success that they could have on their application. So I just felt that it was a, a such a successful program, but we decided after five years that we were not reaching the students that were really part of our mission, the under-resourced kids. After a while, it started that a lot of students that were from affluent districts or higher-income districts were the one that were applying to be a part of it and eventually would come to the end, right, the winning circle. And we had to, to make the decision to end it. That was a bit heartbreaking. It was one of my first um, initiatives when I joined the Verizon Foundation, and it was one that I invested in, you know, quite significantly, and it was one that was extremely successful. But the way that we keep the momentum going is, you know, we took the idea and everything we learned from that, and we moved to those other programs where we focus on minority males and rural girls. So there was a lot we learned from the app challenge around looking in your community, figuring out what challenges you want to solve for, and then how do you use new technologies to solve for those challenges. Uh, so we, we're able to take what we've done and, and be able to integrate it in some of the other efforts that we have. But that was one that was a bit sad for us. Yeah, I know. I, I remember the that program and, and the phenomenal apps that students were making. Yes. And it's really inspiring when you see them out there creating and making a difference. Yes, absolutely. And they were so proud of themselves. I mean, one of the things when we went to the annual conference where they all got on stage um, in front of 5,000, 8,000 technology student association uh, members, and they presented their ideas and you could just see them beaming and it it was just a game changer for them it was it it completely changed some of their lives and their parents would come up to us and say my my daughter or my son you know they 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 were shy or they never thought that there would be a part of a team that would have gone on to win something like this and they said we saw the difference in in our eyes how you know their child grew and became confident along the way yeah i often think about how important it is that you have experiences that change the way you think of your own potential. Yes. And, and that can make a huge difference in a person's life. Yes, absolutely. So you've been very generous with your time. <laughs> I have just one more question. When will you know that your work is done? Um, what would you, what would you have to see in the world to feel like you've accomplished what you set out to do? I don't think I'll ever know that the work is done. That's an interesting question. And I probably haven't had a lot of time to reflect on it. 
let's say every school across the country, <laughs> every under-resourced school Sounds has, great. <laughs> has technology and they have access, you know, what's next? How do they sustain that? What about the new technologies that come, right, in the future? What about 5G? How do we make sure they all have access to that, right? Because then there'll be new tools that come out that probably some of the under-resourced schools may not have. So I just feel like we we need to make sure we're always supporting those schools and we meet, we need to make sure they have access to all of the tools and resources so that teachers can be successful and students can be successful. So I always feel like there's there's going to be something that we need to invest in and support along the way. So I don't know, maybe I'll just do this forever. I, I don't know, Joseph, but... Um, <laughs> Sounds like you're going to be around for a long time. <laughs> I hope I will be. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking this time with us. All right. Thank you. ISTE is the leading publisher of books focused on technology and education. We've got more than 80 titles that focus on the most critical topics in ed tech. Think digital citizenship, artificial intelligence, coding, project-based learning, and the ISTE standards. ISTE members get 25% off the cover price every day. See what's in store at isti.org slash books. <laughs>